What's up, everybody? This week, Sarah and I take our time to digest the black sheep of all of the Oasis albums, Be Here Now. That and a whole lot more is to come on our longest episode ever, because maybe it's not long enough. Welcome to the show. Alright, for those wondering what that ex- expletive of uh, of happiness was, I'll explain <laughs> to you as we get further on into the episode. Hope everybody's doing well. Hi, this is John, and I'm joined once again by Sarah. Hello. Uh, so, can I ask you a question? Always. Um, if you were on social media, mm-hmm. on Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram, mm-hmm. what would happen if you looked up Because Maybe Network on 90s Podcast? I would find out how to connect with the podcast, and yeah. I would see all the nifty stuff that's going on. Correctamundo. That is right. Yeah, so if you haven't done that already, and you hear uh, about join the party, mind, join the party, and it's 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 a party like I've in my crafted mind. <laughs> it means everybody's sitting in the corners waiting for somebody to do something while drinking right. water, because right. uh, <laughs> I am a party animal. If that animal is. The sloth. Awkward, awkward middle school dance, you know. Oh, middle school has got more There's room for Jesus party. in between the two of you. <laughs> Save room for Jesus. Okay. And guys, if you're on YouTube, check out bit.ly slash bmnetwork-youtube. That's where you'll find everything, including our podcasts, mm-hmm. our sample podcasts, and our video game walkthroughs. We do 90s video game walkthroughs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and also, guys, if you know if you're hearing this on a certain network, on like Apple Podcasts, it Spotify, won't be Google. won't be Google. But uh, if you're on, if you're watching us through our YouTube channel, or Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn, and you want to use any other one of those because you know you usually listen to podcasts there, go check us out. Check us out because maybe podcast Please or nineties podcast at because maybe network. So of course we're not going to be on Google because Google still sucks. So mm. uh, <laughs> so how are you doing today, ma'am? I'm good. How are you? I hear you excelled in a lot of things today. Oh. <laughs> I've been stuck in spreadsheet hell. Oh. Yes. Which for a freelancer is pretty pretty remarkable because... <laughs> right, well, it's a productivity tracker, and so I'm not even getting paid for this, but it'll help me stay productive where I can get paid more in the future. There so you go. there you go. Yeah, she's using it for her Super Secret Squirrel project, which mm-hmm. one day I'll hope to announce on here. Yes. But uh, can't announce it right now, but guys, when it comes out, you you want to know it. So um, aside from that, you've been okay this week? I'm good. I'm good. We've, uh, in, in the land of... Casa Connolly, it's been a little hectic, hurting ca- hurting the cats Hurtly that are cats. our children, yes. And the cat that is our cat. And the cat that is our cat, yes, but Pepper yeah. could care less about anything. No, as long as we treat him, he's yes, fine. Yes, Pepper likes his treats. Beyond that, he he cares not. Oh, we, 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 we abuse that cat, and he lets everybody who walks in know that we haven't given oh. him treats within and, five mm. or ten minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I love that cat. He's, he's, he's very, very quirky. Yes. Um, I was going to ask you something, but I guess I forgot what I was going to ask you. So, Fabulous. Um... Maybe, Maybe it is fabulous. Maybe it's not fabulous. Okay. Well, okay, on the subject that we've got going on right now, today's episode, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't spoken about this, but how do you feel about the ongoing feud between uh, brothers Noel and Liam? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, see, long-term Oasis fans have, like, a vested interest in this. Yeah. Right? And so we all just want to see it come to the eventual end. 
which is them reuniting long enough to kill each other, yeah. literally. Like somebody's coming away with, with stitches and then it'll be over, over. Because even though the last time they broke up, it was because supposedly, didn't Liam bop Noel up, up, up across the head with the guitar? No, it was. I think it was the other way around. Somebody clocked somebody yeah. with a guitar. No, Liam hit Noel with a guitar. Okay, Liam hit Noel with a guitar. And allegedly. Allegedly. All this is allegedly. All this is allegedly. But we did, there, there were no police reports or marks or, 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 or stitches. Nobody, you know... I mean, Mystic Meg didn't even get a reading on that one. <laughs> so, um... Uh... Well, the, the whole thing about it, right, was apparently it was to do with... One, one brother said it was to do with the clothing line of the other, wanting mm-hmm. to front free advertising. Mm-hmm. And the other brother said that they hadn't spoken for two years because of a stupid Christmas argument. Oh, yes. the best Christmas song. And what ticked off Noel was the other band members just kind of staring at the shoes while all this was going on. I what were they supposed to do at this point? I mean, they're used to it. It's like, it's, it's a day that ends in one. Yeah, it's like, do, do I get in or is this another brotherly fight? Right. You know, and, and ironically, they've, they've all made up and everybody's clamoring for an Oasis reunion to guys. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We might get another single. Like, they might be able to... to uh, stomach each other long enough to do another single if we're lucky an album if we're really lucky some sort of televised special or a one-off night somewhere Probably but it's a, but a tour is never going to happen well, see this this is this is what i'd like to happen in an ideal world right they start off the show with hello because mm-hmm. of the, that, that chorus is good to be back mm-hmm they do aqueous. Of course, they do. They do aqueous some point during mm-hmm. the show, and mm-hmm. then the very, very last song that Oasis perform as a mm-hmm. group. He's married with children. Correct. Yes. Why? That last. Goodbye. Line. I'm going home. Exactly. Yeah. And that's it. They shut the lights off and they go away. So I got one more question about Oasis before we move into the actual mm-hmm. Oasis that we want to talk about in mm-hmm. the next segment. If Oasis were to reunite tomorrow, mm-hmm. what's the lineup? Because High Flying Birds is basically Oasis without Liam and a bass player. Right. Because the last lineup was the drummer that Noel uses, the pianist Noel uses, Game Archer, mm-hmm. Noel, Liam, and Andy Bell. So you take Liam and Andy Bell away, High Flying Birds is Oasis without Liam and a bass player. All right. Who, who, wh- what would your lineup be? Well, Whitey can't drum anymore. No. So, and they're not speaking to Zach, or are they? No, the, what happened with uh, Zach was he had a tour booked for The Who while they were recording Dig Out Your Soul. Yeah. And unfortunately, the two was cl- clashed. And, and this be- is, for, it- for those who are just passive listeners, this is Zach Starkey, uh, son of Ringo from the Beatles. And trained to drum by Uncle Keith. Tra- yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> trained to drum by Uncle Keith Moon, and who now drums for well, the who. who. Yeah. yeah, right. So, um... They're not talking to the White Brothers. Nobody's talking to McCarroll. So by proxy, it's got to be Sherry behind the kit yeah Sherrick's fine it was and Zach and, and Zach Sherrick's or Sherrick a damn good drummer yeah Sherrick you know? or Zach um bring back Bonehead all of his kids are grown he has no reason to bitch and moan <laughs> about one and his, about missing his kids growing up anymore um so bring back Boney uh Gim wouldn't be in it right cause uh, Gim and Noel aren't speaking are no, they no Gim's Noel's left hand man now he was his right hand man now he's his left hand man he is the official lead guitarist of High Flying Birds now Okay, so wait a minute. No, wait. It's it's Andy. Andy's, not talking, Andy's not talking at all. I don't think he's talking that much to Liam either, to be honest. Well, Andy's probably just... He had enough. Uh-huh. There's really only so much you could do. 
So um, I don't care what the lineup is as long as the scissor chick from the <laughs> High Flying Birds makes the lineup somewhere. Um, Noel okay. has a lady that plays the scissors, and I adore her. For te- for for clarification, she's actually a um, uh, percussionist. Yes. And they were trying to find a specific sound, and they asked her to use the tambourine to do it, and it didn't work. And they asked if she had anything in a t- in a little bag of tricks, and she brought out this four handled scissors, and snapped them into a microphone, and everybody went, "That's a good sound." So like everybody's watching Jules Holland. And which is a big British TV show mm-hmm. that uh, like music, and it is the main British right. music show. If you're on there, you've made it. And they just see this this chick with a bold haircut snapping a pair of scissors into a microphone, and everybody's going, "What the hell is this?" But you listen to it, and the sound is actually it sounds great, sounds great. But <laughs> I don't care. I, I mean, I want I want this chick and Liam to have like a tambourine slash scissor off <laughs> somewhere. Um, this is this is what I would like to see happen. Um, Bonnet on bass, compromise. Put Bonnet on bass. He's a good bass player. He is a good bass player. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame Gwigs won't come back, but I get it. He he. I, I don't think anybody's seen him in public since he quit. Do you blame him? Not really, but I mean, nobody, you listen to anybody who's ever had a thing to do with the band, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but nobody really had a bad word to say about him. Even, no, he's a good even guy. Tony. Great guy. Yeah. <laughs> and Tony has a bad word to say about everyone. Yeah. So, all right, well, we get, we'll get into more Oasis shenanigans here in a minute as we talk about that black mm-hmm. sheepy here now. But again, guys, check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. Look up. Because maybe podcast mm-hmm. or nineties podcast. I don't know which one we're at in each one. It's okay. Mm-hmm. There'll be a link in this description. Also, check us out on YouTube. Bit.ly slash bmnetwork dash YouTube. That's where you'll find all our videos and stuff. And of course, if we're not on your, if you, if you were listening to this podcast and this is not your podcast listening thingy of choice, check us out in all of them: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn. You can say Alexa, play because maybe podcast, and we'll be there. Yeah, awesome. But of course, we're not on Google because Google still sucks. So, <laughs> we are going to go ahead and uh, talk about something that um, I listened to it once. The first time I listened to it, I think it's still playing right now from the first time I ever listened to it. So, uh, <laughs> so it's we're not back, that long. But we're back. It's not long enough. Uh, right. <laughs> we'll be back here in just a second. Review Corner, the Music Lounge. All right, everybody. So. This is why we're here today. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the Black Sheep of the Oasis album family. And I think this is more the Black Sheep than Standing on the Shoulder of Giants because of what this album represents and not anything about it, okay? All right. So, for those of you who are interested in all the, uh, you know, all the technical, technically stuff, mm-hmm. right? This album was released... Technical, technically? This album was released August 21st, 1997. It became the fastest selling album in British music history, beating Definitely Maybe. Yep. Uh, it reached number two in the U.S. Billboard charts, which was huge yes. for a British band at the time. Number one in the U.K. charts, and ultimately only sold around eight million copies, which is down six million on Definitely Maybe, which was their lowest selling album at that point. You know, then you had two selling albums. That pop one was fourteen, one was twenty-five. So this was way down, uh, which we'll get to why here in a minute. It was produced by Welsh legend Owen Morris and Oasis legend Noel Gallagher mm-hmm. on the infamous Creation Records label in the UK and mm-hmm. the rest of the world it was on Sony. And of course this is the last Britpop album 
of pure Britpop, what most people would say. Because everything else that came after that kind of, you know... This was the the one that the... Uh, every album that came out of this, one of the big Britpop hitters, right. was kind of like, party's over. Right. Regrets and all that kind of stuff. I mean... Everything after this was a hangover. Yeah. Uh, you had Blur, Blur, which I love, but I didn't think was a great album. Uh, it's the one with Song 2, right? Yeah. You had okay. uh, Pulp released... Um, oh, what was it called? This is Hardcore? This is Hardcore, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which is another another one. And then the next albums, all three bands released. Were kind are of we the, doing this? Is hard? Are, are we doing this? Is hardcore? Does it? It's fit? It, it's in the list. It's in the list of things to okay. talk about. And we might we might I might replace that next season. I don't know yet. I haven't written next season out properly. But yeah, we we'll probably do this is hardcore because that's an album I love too. Okay. You know? But um, this is kind of the last big party album of the era before the Hangovers kicked in. Yep. And you got to understand where this album came from to understand why it was such in the eyes of many a flop mm-hmm. i mean look you can sell eight million records you can have a positive uh uh review of the album but ultimately this album is considered as i've mentioned before several times the black sheep and the moment everybody saw oasis as mortal musicians as opposed to the gods that they were portrayed in the in the media in the uk right that's fair to say mm-hmm. so let me take you back to the halcyon days of 1996. <laughs> Oasis had just released Don't Look Back in Anger, the second number one single. Mm-hmm. They had might have lost the Britpop uh, battle, Battle of Britpop, but they were winning the Battle of Britpop War. They right. had the media on their side. They just played really, really special shows at uh, Sloan Castle, Main Road in Manchester, the home of their favourite football team, minus Bonehead and Whitey, who were Charlton Athletic and uh, <laughs> Manchester United fans. Respectfully. Respectfully. Yeah. Um, and before anybody asked, the Cockney was the fan of the Cockney Club mm-hmm. and the Mancunian was fan of Manchester. The joke was in the mid-90s that uh, if you wanted to insult a Manchester United fan, just go to the centre of Manchester and do it because none of them live there. Right? And <laughs> so they, they've got all these big shows and then all of a sudden they've got the biggest shows in Britain, his, in British music history at the time. Right. The, the infamous Nebworth Park shows. Right. Um, for those who don't know, uh, two million people applied for tickets, mm-hmm. and two hundred fifty thousand got the tickets. It led to the bootleg album called Oasis. Two hundred fifty thousand fans can't be wrong, mm-hmm. which I think is a great album name to begin with. And at that point, whether you liked them or not, in mid nineteen ninety six, for the last two years up until that point, Oasis became or were the biggest band in the world. Yes. I mean, all the metrics, right? All the metrics that you would have. They were getting the most critically acclaimed from all the critics. Morning Glory mm-hmm. was re-reviewed and considered a massive, massive success. It had cracked America, which... No British music was cracking America at that time. The closest was maybe U2. And you've got your finger up saying... Bush. Yeah, but they... Okay. But they did it backwards. They did it backwards. So it they went to America first. I thought they, I thought they were based in America. They just happened to be British. No, they they were British. And they... Um, they But they cracked America first on purpose. But they didn't crack the UK. There you go. So, I mean... They, but, like, I, I put, I'm put i looking at you slightly confused. It's like, wait, wait a minute. I thought they were American with the British frontman or... No, so a lot of people don't know that they were. But okay, I didn't. I did not know that they. See? That, yeah, well, you know. I mean, recorded at Abbey Road and everything. Oh well, I did not know that you learned something new every day. Now, mm-hmm. they, they, I, I say they didn't crack Britain. They weren't. The style of music when it came out was. I mean, it was lost in the Brit pop shuffle. 
Well, yeah, because it was more Nirvana than Britpop. And at the time, we had more grunge. We had stuff like the Manic Street Preachers, who had that heavy mm-hmm. stuff on lockdown. So, but at the time, Morning Glory was critically acclaimed. That what I call the Nebworth tour was the biggest attended amount of shows in music history at the time. Right. In, in the concentration of it, right? They had like ten shows in a row, all shows over sixty thousand people. Um, they were selling the most CDs, most records. They were getting the most critical acclaim. They were the biggest band in the world. They had the most eyes on them, the most ears on them, and the most people shelling out hard-earned money to take care of it. Gotcha. The only other band that could have come close at that time, ironically, was U2. Mm-hmm. And... Because Pop Mart. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, Oasis even supported U2. Be- mm-hmm. Out of respect, I guess it was. Because at the time, with all due respect to U2, 97 U2 wasn't as good as 97 Oasis. I would like to enter a complaint okay i would like to enter a complaint that i bought you two tickets for dallas yeah and then oasis joined the tour for the shows starting immediately after oh. dallas i was so oh, I'd be too which i'd have to watch you too uh no 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 so, I, I like you too i like you too I, I, no, 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 i mean rage against the machine open which is fine oh yeah that's that's a good substitute yeah, it was quite a good substitute um but I mean, for someone who is such a diehard Oasis fan, yeah. that just broke my heart, which led me to my um, my 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 road trip, which we'll discuss here in a little we bit. Are, it's in the notes. We're going to discuss. Is it? it. Okay, uh, great. Yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry, but uh, I, you have a story about it. I, I think it would be uh, mm-hmm. it'd be cognizant to leave. You no, know, you can leave out anything that you want to leave out, and don't worry, I'll edit stuff. So don't. Worry oh no, no, no. But um, so. You're the, you're the biggest selling band in the world. You're the biggest band in the world. You've mm-hmm. just completed the biggest tour, small tour, including the two biggest gigs mm-hmm. in music history. You've got a show with MTV coming up. What would you do next? Would you A, step back, smell the roses, and go, wow, we've made it. Let's make it bigger. Or B, would you go to America and almost completely and utterly fall apart? Well, doesn't matter what I chose. They chose B. Correct. And what happened, right? MTV Unplugged was the biggest music show in the 90s. Yes. Both sides of the Atlantic. Yes. And Oasis were asked to play it. Now, they technically weren't unplugged because Gwigsy played an electric bass. <laughs> he's Gwigsy, though, so but he's we'll Gwigsy, give him... Yeah. Let it go. But that show was uh, unique for one reason. And the, reason the lead was, singer wasn't there. Yeah. Well, he was in the audience heckling. Yes. See, what had happened is... Mm-hmm. Uh, Liam went on a three-day bender. But before that, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't show up to very many of the rehearsals. And every time he did, he'd sing half a song, then walk out. So basically, they practiced the show without him. Mm-hmm. And literally, the, according to Noel Gallagher, and I love Noel, but he's got a touch of the Hulk Hogan's about him when it comes to storytelling. Mm-hmm. As they were walking out on stage, Liam walked away. Yeah. I don't believe that because his microphone wasn't set up. So they knew a good 15 minutes before going out there. Now, his his uh, his, monitor, his wedges were still there, but his microphone wasn't. Does that make sense? Mm. So they, they had enough time to remove the microphone, but not the wedges, because to be fair, if they only had 15 minutes, getting the wedges up would have been a bit of a problem. Um, so they don't show... Liam doesn't show up. Noel announces that they're stuck with the Ugly Four. He rips some woman off for 10 quid, um, <laughs> who, who got talked tonight and good to be free correct. 
Mm-hmm. And Liam started heckling around about the time they started forming Cast No Shadow, which was halfway through the show. Mm-hmm. And it ended up with basically the band, for lack of a bit of him, dying on their house right on stage. Oh, I don't agree with that. No, they... It was a great show. I think I think it was fantastic, and I think that Liam playing, Liam singing probably wouldn't have worked with the style of show that it was at the time. That was what ninety six. Yeah, and the style of the show was very very heavy orchestral and bra- and brows. My fifteen year old heart just adored them. Oh yeah. Well, you listen to some of the. I was I, I just sat on the couch on the edge of the couch and watched just with rapt attention. Well, you, you look at the Nebworth shows, right? Mm-hmm. And they had the same kind of orchestral setup for the, the mm-hmm. acoustic section mm-hmm. of the show. And Noel sang the master plan. Right. And he sounded better singing the master plan than Liam did singing Cast No Shadow, whatever, and um, Wonderwall. It suited Noel's style more than it suited Liam's style. So when the MTV concert came around and Noel had a chance to shine yeah. and sing 14 songs. Right. It just... He said it felt awkward. It felt awkward with the rest of the, the guys too, because this was the this was the first televised version of Norley at a show, right? And it wasn't the first time they they did a show without him, but it was the first time it was on TV, right? And that's okay though. You know, it happens. It happens. Yeah. You know, lead singer gets sore throat. Your backup singer can sing. They're his songs anyway. Let's just keep going. Yeah. Yep. I mean, all right. I can't imagine Richie's whatever his name is in Bon Jovi singing. Richie Sim. Yeah. <laughs> Although Brian May probably would for Queen. Yeah. You know, because Brian May's got the voice of an angel. Freddie Mercury, voice of a god. So mm-hmm. uh, what happened next was unbelievable. Uh, they had an American tour lined up, and Liam, according to Alan White, doesn't, gets off the plane and goes back down the runway on one of those little beeping cart thingies. Right. Because apparently he hadn't sold it out a house to live in when they got back mm-hmm. with his new love, Miss Patsy. Mm-hmm. So... Again, what do you do? Your lead singer has left you in in the midst of a, the beginning of a tour. Do you cancel the tour for a later date? Postpone the tour? I'll say, F- it, let's go. You just say, screw it, let's go. Yeah, Noel went and was the front man for about ten shows. Mm-hmm. Liam showed up. They did about four more shows. Can you believe they had a big argument? No. Yeah, they had a big argument, derailed the tour, and... It basically killed the momentum that they were building in the U.S. Completely and utterly. Uh, they had their yeah. moments, but I mean, at that point, it was the MTV Music Awards performance. Yeah, the Dennis Miller hosted at one ninety six. Yeah, and then they canceled the tour, and they already had heat from uh, stuff like Rolling Stone, where they wouldn't spend twelve hours a day on a photo shoot and interview. Yeah, they were done over here at that yeah. point. They, you know, they were they they. Refused to play the game, tried to play the game, and then bang, it was done. Yeah, we we we're we're not big on entitlement here in the in the U.S. Which is ironic because they weren't doing it to be entitled; they were doing it because be, for the opposite. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, they weren't doing it to be entitled the way that traditionally people would think an entitled person would be. But for those, but I mean. Oasis fans, we know their background. We know, you know, you know, whatever, and we know that you know Noel's swagger is because he's busted his butt and fully has earned his reputation and what and his yeah. claims as the best and what he does. But for the most part, for those who really couldn't care less, you know, who or, who you know, all they saw was 
British accent entitled "Thinks They're Better yeah. Than Us." I, I guess so. I guess so. It's, it's, so it's, in his in, in their mind, and I understand where they're coming from. Is like you know the enemy and Q and Melody right. Maker in the UK don't need us for twelve hours of a day to take photos and talk. Right. To us. Two hours, three hours, we're done. We're out of here. Right. You know, and th- and that's what they saw it. So you know, it was just. I mean, I'm just saying yeah. how how but, it was. I mean, because the way that it was done in the media over here, yeah, and the way it was presented, you know, through all on on the talk shows and this, that, and the other, and the VJs on MTV and everything and, and articles was about their entitlement and about how dare they about yeah. these spoiled, pompous little British and it's ironic. brats. And it's ironic when that happened; they hadn't even had the royalties for definitely maybe kick in yet. Yeah, so, so they were still working class Grafton at that point. You know, yeah, which, which is weird to me. But um, it wasn't all horrible. No. Right? They had um, the song, the, their first known, the first collaborative number one single, I guess you'd say. Um, the song Said in Sun by the Chemical Brothers mm-hmm. was sung by Noel Gallagher. It's actually a, a song that Noel wrote called Coming On Strong. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of adapted it for that. And boom, was their first number one. It was the band's first. It was one of the Gallagher Brothers' first non-Oasis number one. First solo number one, I guess you'd call it. It was a collaboration, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and you know what? In February of 96, Noel jetted off to uh, Mystique. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mick Jagger's private retreat in Mystique. And wrote and demoed basically 20 songs. Because at the time, he hadn't written anything in a couple of years because he had those songs that, that right. were, you know, that were the first two of his albums were written and demoed. It was written right. before, you know, for whatever. So... After the American tour went south, they went to Abbey Road because, of course, they went to Abbey Road. Well, yeah, because at the time they were, you know, they they were still in love with being the Beatles. Yeah, and and not just that this wasn't their first time in Abbey Road, but this is the first time they scheduled multiple sessions with Abbey Road. Now, right. do you know how Abbey Road works in terms of his administrations back in the day? Hit me. Okay. If you booked a month's worth of Abbey Road sessions, mm-hmm. and I also booked a month's worth of Abbey Road sessions at the same time you did, it's whoever brought Abbey Road the cash first. Okay. So if you booked for 10 days, I booked for 10 days, and you give them 10 days worth of studio fees, you get studio. They okay. never did anything on credit. They did, you know, and that, that went back to the 60s and everything like that. All right. So legend has it that you two had booked Abbey Road at the same time. And because Creation Records stumped up the cash, Bono, Bono got booted from the pop tour doing her Abbey Road. Now, that's a legend. I don't know if it's true or not. That's hilarious. But unfortunately, those sessions ended after a week. Uh, Liam was arrested for cocaine possession, and mm-hmm. they were constantly interrupted by the tabloids who were following Liam for everything he did. Yeah. I, kinda, I, I, I did feel sorry for him, you know? A little bit. Um, so what happened is they moved to a rural uh, studio in Rudge Farm, which is in mm-hmm. Surrey. Uh, very very nice part of of England, you know. Very very boring too, and the drug use went through the roof. Yeah, I mean there was there was a rumor that when Gwigsy went out to find weed, he came back with weed, cocaine, more cocaine mm-hmm. than weed, and mm-hmm. he wasn't you know he was like I want weed, and they gave him both, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Noel, Noel Morris constantly clashed, which is which led to their estrangement. Uh, what Morris wanted to do was take the Mystique sessions. Remove the drum track, remove the bass, l- put another layer of guitars on there, Bonehead and Noel, mm-hmm. Liam sing, and bang, there's the album. Right. Uh, Noel 
wanted the album to be grand, massive, and off the charts. Well, yeah, he wanted... Uh, this was his Phil Spector album. He wanted the wall of sound. It is alleged that... Uh, this has been this has been confirmed by Noel, but again, Noel's not the most reliable storyteller. You know, no. That he would have ten identical guitar tracks on the same song. I don't doubt it for a bit. Yeah. So what happened is Head Pooba Alam Gee, who is no stranger to Purdy himself, uh, walked into the studio during mixing and was horrified by what he saw. Now, if you can get a guy. Like, like Alan, Alan McGee, McGee to be horrified at drug use? Yeah. You were on some shiz. He, t- he took Owen Morris to task for not having the sessions under control. Mm-hmm. Morris counters with the fact that, look, McGee was the record head. He should have been the one to get everybody under control because mm-hmm. all Morris was was a knob twiddler. They both bear some responsibility, as does Noel Gallagher himself. But he was too hopped up. He was too coked out of it to, you know, to, to, have, right. this, to have control of it. Right. Um... There were, like, about four songs that were written pre-Definitely Maybe, which was kind of where all the other stuff that right. would be uh, all around the world, mm-hmm. and I hope I think I know. Right. Uh, and Don't Go Away was written without the lyrics that we know now. Or the song that became Don't Go Away was written back then. Right? Right, and that's the song that Noel um, wrote about Peggy. Yes. Now, Peggy's Noel Gallagher's Yeah, it's, mother. it's their mother. Now, she had had a cancer scare. Now, also, there have been reports, and again, these, these are just reports, that it was uh, Bonehead's mother who was sick, too. Well, she might have been sick, too, but I know... It, and uh, and but... it was written for Bonehead to process things. Mm. That's, that's that, again, I, I've got, you know, it, it could be one, both, or neither. But mm. the general consensus is written for, for, for one of the boys' men's. Okay. You know, um... And, but that would that kind of would explain the behavior of the Gallagher brothers during this time too, if their one constant had a high chance of not being with us, you know. Pretty much, that'll do it. Now, it's very very hard to piss off the UK showbiz press. They managed to do it. They put a media blackout, and the most anticipated album in British music history since the Beatles was not given to reviewers in newspapers. Mm. They wanted to keep it, like... Everybody everybody gets it at the same time. Yeah. yeah. The first time you heard anything from the band, any reviewers and anybody outside of the band's inner circle, the first time anybody would hear it was when, do you know what I mean, debuted on the radio. Right. So, Liam and Noel were with their, uh, new, with their, you know, with their swagger, this is the best work we've ever done. You know, um... Whitey, Gwigsy, and Bonehead also called the album really, really good. And then that album cover. Oh, that album cover was was a head-scratcher. There were so many different um, calls to different things on there and hints at different things. It was it was like a game of Clue. So you had the Rolls-Royce in the pool, mm-hmm. which is a reference to, I think it was Keith, Keith Moon. Moon. Yeah, and Noel having a Rolls-Royce. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gramophone... The Clarks, the Lambert Scooter, which mm-hmm. was, was their more things. Well, Noel didn't speak to the press for about four months before this, this album cover was released, right? And mm-hmm. it led to the Hawks, Noel is dead. Yeah. Which which is like the Paul is dead. Um, the Rolls Royce in the pool was a reference to Noel, who died after an argument with Liam, mm-hmm. took off driving his Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. Of course, everybody... Noel who, doesn't drive. Thank you. He doesn't have a license. He doesn't want to... He doesn't want to drive. He doesn't want to drive. 
Uh, apparently, Richard Ashcroft was the writer of the album, which mm. is why the lyrics weren't as great as normal's, which I find stupid mm-hmm. because, with all due respect to Noel Gallagher, Richard Ashcroft is a better lyricist. Or he was at that time, anyway. I mean, you just got to listen to Urban Hymns and Morning Glory, and Urban Hymns on the lyrical side of things is far better. And apparently, they replaced Noel with two people. One person for all the, the, like the shoots and stuff like that. And the other one, they replaced him with the lead guitarist from tribute band Noasis. <laughs> that is hilarious. And especially considering that he gave them his gear. Yeah. yeah. Because way back in the day when he could, when he first found out they had a tribute band, like a touring tribute band, he thought that was just the coolest damn thing. And so... Um, they were asking him, you know, like, well, what do you use? You know, like, what what are, what are you using for your sound, your pedals or whatever? He's like, I got you. And so he sent them, like, um, a, a copy of everything that they use, like, from the orange stack yeah. to the, the, the same pedals. That that, that's nothing cheap, folks. No. Well, but, but, but it's still uh, interjecting a little bit of trivia here. Other than Oasis, Oasis are the, the, the most famous Oasis tribute band that stayed a tribute band. Yeah. But who are the most famous Oasis tribute band that went on to go do something else? That that, that decided well, to play their own songs. I, I, I'd, I'd like to tell you, but I'm finding it harder and harder, harder to, to breathe. breathe. <laughs> yes. Adam Levine and the guys are, uh, they, they started out as a tribute band. And they still play uh, Oasis material on yes, their they tours. Uh, they did a really, really bad version of Don't Look Back in Anger. Right. Really good version of Hello, though. Yes. So, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's ebbs and flows. And that kind of, you know, that kind of goes against what Rolling Stone was uh was trying to you know was trying to paint them as because you know they donated gear to a sound like band mm-hmm. pay him back i mean it, that, that is the ultimate act of paying back because when oasis got started or first got their record deal johnny marr gave them all a bunch of guitars and effects pedals yeah but it's still it's somebody who was going out of their way to sound yeah. like Noel, so it was still. <laughs> I mean, you know, imitation is the most serious form so, of flattering. So when are we going to get Burgundy Seven? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, so Maroon, Maroon 5. Five are the most famous Oasis tribute band. So we've been talking for about twenty-five minutes. Let's actually yes. get into the album. Okay, right? fabulous. Uh, the the band basically who was there was Liam. He mm-hmm. sang everything except track three. And he played the tambourine too. Chris Rock fans will be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noel played basically guitars, backing vocals, and a keyboard. Mm-hmm. And he also sang track three. Uh, Bornite played rhythm. Gwigsy played bass. Whitey played drums and did occasional percussion stuff that Liam didn't do. Mm-hmm. You had uh, Mikey Rowe on mm-hmm. keyboards, who still works with Noel now. Uh, Coyley came back to do um, guitars on Do You Know What I Mean? Mark Coyle was Oasis' original... Uh, sound guy, front of house right. guy, and was Noel's right hand man for many Ever. years. Uh, unfortunately, he started going deaf. Yeah. And as a sound engineer, the last thing you want to do is lose your hearing. Right. Uh, Mark Felton played harmonica on track 10. Richard Ashcroft provided backing vocals on track 10 all around the world. Nick Ingram was the guy who arranged all the brass and strings. And we're going to hold this fact to when we get to it. But on track 7, Fading Out, they had a very, very special guest. 
and you've got until we get there to figure out who the special guest was. And if you're watching this on YouTube, put a comment down. See if you got it. You won't get it. Trust me, unless you're an Oasis fan. Uh, and of course, Owen Morris. Should we give a hint? No. I'll give a hint. Go ahead. Okay. So here's the hint. All right. The special guest. The special guest was dating Noel's wife's best friend. There you go. And was there at Mystique when they were all on vacation together. I think he, he actually put some guitars down on the demo. He did. And um, he's an actor. Yes. Yes. And he had a tale written about him a few years ago. Yes. And when a very famous couple got divorced, everybody was wondering who got him in the settlement. Yes. So. And again, there's your hints. There's your hints. So get it down in the comments. Yes. And off we go. So let's start track one. Yes. The, 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 the track that kicked everything off. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? That was one of their catchphrases. Like if they released a song called Arcade. Right. <laughs> well, that was the name of the, um, the, record label. the record label. No, it wasn't the name of the record label. It was the name of the uh, catalog. Yeah. That was the catalog that they did. Yeah. When they when they got their own label, uh, they called it Big Brother. Mm-hmm. And all their catalog numbers were Arcade 00, zero, zero whatever. One, yeah. So do you know what I mean? Um, this song, I love this song. I think it's head and shoulders above everything else on this album for a start. Green Day loves this song. Green Day loves this song <laughs> out of everything. Um this did signal that the band were back. Yes. And I think after hearing it, a lot of people thought, oh my God, this album is going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, but I mean, you know, the general perception of it. It ha- it basically is the same chord sequence as Wonderwall. Yep. <laughs> it is. Um, some really, really introspective lyrics from Noel on here. And I think this is, a lot of this is written, the, the bridge in particular, right? We'll right. Talk the bridge here in a sec, but there's some lyrics like, coming in a mess, going out in style. And he explained what that meant. Noel very rarely explains his lyrics. That's because Noel very rarely understood his yeah. lyrics. Because at uh, the time, he was still very Dr. Seuss. But what that meant, he came into London with a beaten up acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and a bag of clothes. Mm-hmm. Now he's got a mansion and a Rolls Royce. Yep. Coming in a mess. Going out, going in, out style. in style. But that middle bit, I met my maker, made him cry. On my shoulder, he asked me why his people won't fly through the storm. I said, "Listen, up, man, they don't even know you're born." On the on what I call the Nebworth tour, mm-hmm. which is the which is the go between and between the Morning Glory tour right. and everything like that. They did a couple of shows in Ireland, right? And who did they bump into the first after show party? Their strange father. Mm. I met my maker and made him cry. Because at the time, because mm. they both wanted, both brothers wanted to knock the living shit out of him at that that point mm-hmm. you know so i think that little bit is written about his his dad or his, the, the meeting of the dad mm. now, it might not be probably isn't but it you know it would fit it would then you have um you know the blood on the tracks the fool on the hill yes and other things it's very beatlesque um step off the train all alone at dawn back into the home where i was, I was born. born and it's just it's just this is who i am Right. We're back. Fear us. The problem Err. with it... The problem with it... Yes? A couple of years ago, on the uh, 20th anniversary of the album being released... God, has it been... Oh, I'm so old. 23 years. Shush you. you. Um, they... For years, Noel and, and Game Archer talked about uh, reviewing, remixing the album. And Noel actually sat down and did it. 256 tracks this this song had. 
<laughs> Did you know that there was an orchestra in it? Originally. Uh, I mean, we know now, yes. But I couldn't hear it. Yes. So he stripped everything back and played it what it could be. You could hear Gwigsy. Right? You know, it, it had no bass. It had, it was just noise. And while it was good, it was so... It was, it was his specter. Yeah, it it just, after hearing now, the, 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 re, the remix, or the right. rethink, as he called it, I can't really listen to the original version of this song, because... It's like the people who put Lino over hardwood floors. Ah! I'm gonna put. He literally had. He literally had to put two. You know, he had two tape tracks in to, to get everything off and put it into Pro Tools to mess with it. Right. So you know, um, I love it. I, I still do love it. I think. I think it's a great song to you know to, to do. It's a hell of an opener. Yeah, they 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 didn't play it as much live as they should have. Well, yeah, because they can't replicate it live. Because it's so much. Well, they kind of did, though. They could, and they did, but it's a pain in the... But it it took getting rid of Gwigsy and Bona to do it. Because, with all due respect to Bona and Gwigsy, I love love the original... Well, no, that is the original. The Mm -hmm. definitive lineup of Oasis. But Game and Andy brought a lot of different energy to it, and they were able to enhance things that maybe were a bit too one- or two-dimensional with Bona and Gwigsy. Gotcha. So, the next song is My Big Mouth. Now, yes. this was a song that was written around about the time... This was written for the Mystique Sessions. Mm-hmm. And this was written and actually performed during the Nebworth tour. Right. Um, this is Noel's, basically, his f*** you to the British music press. Yes. Uh, actually, the British press in general. Everybody yes. knows, but nobody's saying nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what was the other one? Uh, around this, this time you cease, cease to, to be, be, that's what you get for sleeping with the enemy. Which is Britain's biggest music Yeah, it's magazine. not enemy, it's NME. The, yes. the initials, it stands for yeah. New Music Express. Um, so Guess is going to take the blame for My Big Mouth. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting composition in the sense that it's like five chords very, very quickly. Wasn't this in reference to um, when Noel got in trouble for popping that off about uh, Damon Auburn? But how he hoped that he caught AIDS and died. Yeah. And Noel, Noel, by the way, Noel admitted that's probably not his finest hour. He regret- oh, he said that was he, re- he, he, he admitted he regretted it as soon as it came out of his mouth. No, he wouldn't. He didn't act it. No, he, he regretted it. But as it soon and, as he said it, he knew. And he and got for those his- people who might get offended by that, please know that Noel and Damon, they're no, good now. They're good. They're, Their they're, kids are good. They co- they collaborate with each other and everything. Like mm-hmm. Noel Gallagher and Damon Albert in the studio together collaborating. That's weird, yo. yeah. So you know they, they they've gotten over it. Um, I think it was that and the whole houses of everyone in the houses of parliament's on coca- on heroin line. Yeah. You know he's just like everything I say is being taken out of context. Yeah. Into my big mouth, you could fly a train though. Mm-hmm. I think that's more Liam screwing up the words than uh, Noel's bad writing or bad lyrics at that point. I don't know. This is at the tail end of the Dr. Seuss era, so there's still some, there's still some Dr. Seuss, uh, uh, like the next song, which is one of my favorites, which you hate. I hate. I, I, I love. I, and I hate. I hate it because of what it represented, and I'll, we'll get to it here when we talk about what it does represent. But we'll talk about it now here. My, my big mouth, great song, played on the Nebworth tour. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved it. Again, oversaturated. They didn't actually play it with Liam on vocals mm. afterwards. Noel, there's a couple of versions of Noel singing it out there, mm-hmm. but nothing else. But we go to Magic Pie. 
Yes. Oasis at their psychedelic worst. In I my love opinion. it. I love it. What do you like about it? Let, let, let's 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 get that out, and I'll tell you what I don't like about it. I probably like what you hate. I like that it's so uh, nonsensical. No, that's not why I don't like it. Um, I like. Well, I was a sucker for any Noel song song yeah. at the time. Fair enough. So um, any Noel song, so it's like all oh, insert cartoon hard eyes. Yeah, I know, right? Um, no shame in my game. Of course, I was 15. I had no game. Or 16 at this point. <laughs> uh, no game whatsoever. Um, but, uh, no, uh, it, it was very, I am he is you or he is you or me and we are all together. Yeah. I, I mean. It was his attempt to do a, a very, very mellow walrus. Yes. Here's why I don't like it. Okay. I, and I only found out the second reason why I don't like it a couple of years later. I just thought it was boring. You got these two really, really loud, epic openers. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? My Big Mouth is very, very aggressive, and then Magic Pie is very, very sleepy. Magic Pie is go. You know, you've you've had a Magic Pie is the song. If you're play, if you're you know, if you're playing this. At a party. Palate cleanser? Yeah, it's the palate cleanser. It's the stop for a second, grab a drink, smoke your pot, go, you know, go, go, go kiss on your date, and then get ready for the slow song, which comes next. Yeah, I just, I, I didn't get it. But the reason I, the reason I, I, I chose, I, the reason I say chose, the reason I, I started to disdain it more, mm-hmm. I found it when I bought the Master Plan CD. Mm-hmm. And they recorded a song called Stay Young. Mm-hmm. which was one of the best lyrically written of the time that was very very up, upbeat bouncy and got kicked off for Magic Pie and I think if you put you'll st- never forgive him for that will you well not st- if, if you've never heard Stay Young right it's a beautiful song it's, it's a great song and it's very very optimistic and positive and you know the type of song that everybody was expecting on this album. Mm-hmm. Not just not in terms of, you know, the sound, but like the lyrics and the feel of it. Right. And I always thought Stay Young was a far better track than Magic Pie. Magic Pie bored me to tears. It 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 was it was orderly mud to me, if that makes sense. Damn. Tell us how you really feel, baby. No, what I mean by that is, is like, when I listen to it, the only thing I can picture is brown. Good God. Okay. And, and what I mean by that, like, is in this, you know, if... if That's when, okay, because there's another song later on that you love that I can't stand. Fair so. enough. Um, but I, I just... It, and by brown, I don't mean, like, poop-colored or anything like that. Yes, I, mean, just, I know what just you mean. beige and boring and... Blech. Yeah, just, you know. Whereas, to me, it's all dippy-trippy and light shows and... <sighs> Fair enough. I mean, we can we can agree to disagree, and we'll talk more about stay. Well, actually, you know, we don't need to talk more about stay young. But you know, stay young was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, the fans loved it. Right. Liam still loves it. He 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 didn't know why they didn't play it as as much as they should have. You know. So, uh, next song, stand by me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first of many stand by me's. This is the worst video they have ever made. I disagree. The gigantic egg beater, and you disagree. No, that's all around the world. No, all around the world is not the gigantic egg beater. 
Okay, you're going to have to explain this one to me. The gigantic hand crank egg beater. No. Yes. It's not this video. Yes, it is. Stand by, this, the video to stand by me was the uh, story in five different segments from five different points of view. Okay, we got a different video than you got. Probably. The, the, the video to this one, basically, you see um, a woman shove another woman to the ground and hits her head. Then you see a bank robbery going on. Then you see, like, a guy pinning a woman up against the wall. Uh, another guy breaking into a car, right? And then, at the end of it, it all kind of comes together that there's a police chase. And there's a guy pushing a, a gal out the way from this motorbike coming through. Uh, a guy unlocking a car door that was locked up. And the woman... You keep talking. I'm You're going to have to mute that because we will get, uh, we'll get flagged. We're muted. But, um, I'm scrolling. So, so the last bit of the video is this motorcycle is being chased by the police. Gets into the two women who were arguing. One gets shoved to the floor out of the way, and this dude gets launched headfirst through through a window. Okay, that's so it, it not what we got. That's not what we got. No, you were thinking of "Don't Go Away." I am thinking of "Don't Go Away" with the egg beaters and the and the yes. umbrellas. And okay. Stuff. Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to okay. that. Okay, sorry. But stand by me. The I, I need my um. I'm, I'm wrapping my knuckles as an Oasis fan. Uh, I should know better. But no, we didn't get the stand by me video. Okay. At all, we got the freaking egg beater. <laughs> um, this song is basically Noel writing, for lack of a better term, Noel writing a letter to Peggy, to his, to his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a meal, threw it up on Sunday. I got a lot of things to learn. That's because he got food poisoning trying to cook food mm -hmm. after he got lectured by his mother for going out and eating all the time. So he tried to make his own food and got food poisoning with it. Yep. And just kind of, you know, all, all these kind of things and nobody knows the way it's going to be. I think this is very Presbyterian. Yeah, no big word, right? And I think that if it had been, again, everything that is everything that is wrong with the album, if it was about a minute shorter and not as overly produced, tightened up, it would have been a lot better. See, here's, and I love the song. I here, love this song. Here's the thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna beg to differ with you on a lot of this, but I actually, and here's the ironic part: I actually prefer raw songs. I prefer the the live and uncut and the stripped down and yeah. the raw nitty gritty oh, no, I, versions. I love that. Usually nine times out of ten I do. However, man, am I a sucker for some Phil Spector. <laughs> well not him in real life. He's he's ugh, he's gross. But um that whole wall of sound Ronette sixties, you know, I'm I'm all about that. And no this album, like you, you, there's just you can't you can't tell me anything bad about this album. No, and look, I have is, no complaints. This is my second favorite Oasis album. My favorite being definitely maybe. Right. This is my this is my favorite. I thought Sotsog was your favorite. Sotsog is is it's a very close second, but this one has more emotional, um. And just sentimental value. Okay, I got you. I got you. And look, don't get me wrong. I don't think I. I, I love this song. This is you know, this is a song that I I, I play mm -hmm. a lot on my guitars, and it's it's a good song. It is a very very good song. I just thought that if the tempo was a, just a little faster, 
it's trying to be slide away. That it is. But it it, ah, it that was your phone. Okay, that's a pedal. But it doesn't kind of hit the the slide away right heights. That doesn't mean it's a bad song. Standing on its own is a good song, but just felt like there was something missing. I got you. So, uh, next song is this the one that you're talking about that that you hate? No, I don't hate. I hope I think I know. Okay, because I love this song. Just that that I think this is the one that the the overproduction helps. Mm, yes. The 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 pace of it is good, but again, like Stay Young, it's positive. It's uplifting. It's mm-hmm. it's it's what the album was designed to have. What the album should have had more of. Um, I love the chorus. As we beg, steal, and borrow, life is hit and miss. And this, I hope, I think, I know. If I ever hear the names you call, if you stumble, catch me when I fall. Because baby, after all, I'll, I'll never, never forget, forget your name. name. Yeah. I just think that that's that's. So you never forget my name. Yeah. Well. Depending on who's singing it at the time. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, the the. the it's just they never played it live this song exists on this album and on this album only I want to call BS on that go ahead but I can't I have no proof no I've I've pulled up um, I, like there was back in the day on the old Mad Ferret Oasis forum there was a guy who kept uh, up with everything that they played live yes and like he, he did it mainly for his own nerdum but like he, he wanted to point out how set lists would change during right and like i hope i think i know hey now never mm-hmm. got on on a stage hmm. which hey now i kind of understand but i hope i think i know i didn't i, I, I didn't quite i didn't quite get it hmm. now the other thing they did live at that time is they turned bonehead down mm-hmm. so if they turned bonehead up and played this song i think you know the two were i, I thought the be here now two was the best that they sounded before the uh, Heathen Chemistry tour, which was the best tour they ever did. Right. But um, this song exists only on this album, and it's so po- it's positive and swaggering without being arrogant. Yeah, I want to tell you that they did this, but, I mean, it, that might be the Mandela effect, so I'm going to hush, but I'd like to tell you they did. Now, the next song is a song that uh, has a very, very quirky story behind it. I got it. this one. I Go got ahead, this. Take it away. Sit down. Okay. Sit down, children. Mom was going to tell you a story. <clears throat> okay. Once upon a time in a land far, far away. So there was this, this this rock star and his girlfriend. They were not engaged or married yet. And they um, had stayed the night together in a hotel room, as adults do. And um, this was not planned. And so the next morning before they went to a show, uh, he goes and gets a shower and he comes back and he finds her ironing her shirt from the night before so that way it didn't look like she was doing the walk of shame out of the hotel room and he said hey what are you ironing that dirty shirt for and so that night uh during they, he played a song and he dedicated it to the girl in the dirty shirt and uh I think that was don't look back in anger uh don't think it could be but i don't think so or wonderwall one of the two no no, because this is before then. Okay. Yeah, this is before he wrote Wonderwall. Okay. Um, but uh, anyway, so he dedicated a song to her because this was early days in their relationship, early early days in their relationship. So, and she had uh, Coily 
record the uh, the dedication, and she's she said she was going to keep it on a sound clip somewhere for their kids, which of course Aww. they just had the one. So um, I know all, but um, so that is the story of the girl in the dirty shirt, who knows exactly what she's worth, knows exactly what she's worth to me. I can see. Now I see. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the weakest songs lyrically on the album. <laughs> Probably, but it's sweet. But not only that, this sounded more like uh, a Morning Glory or definitely maybe Style Oasis song. It wasn't as overproduced. And cut no, it wasn't. Else. No, it wasn't. But it was. It was. You know, she also had been going through when he wrote the song. She'd been going through a hard time. Um, the company that she was working for, either the company disbanded or she was let go or something had happened. And she was going through, you know, and everybody goes through that. You know what I mean? Like, I've been through it. Um, so she was going through some work changes and just, it was stressful. And this song was his way of saying, you know, hey, life is sucky at the moment, but I believe in you. You got this. There you go. And it didn't need to be... No. bigger than what it was it was it was cute and and to be fair it was one of the few lyrical songs of the first three oasis albums that made sense that mm-hmm. wasn't all dr seuss although it rhymed you know it was just it just seemed a little weak as he was trying to find his feet to tap into it more his, his more emotional side of mm-hmm. um it's a good song it is a good song but aside from maybe magic pie and the next song we're going to talk about it's probably the weakest song on the album Mm. Actually, no, it's not Magic Pie. It's Magic Pie, the song we're going to be talking about next, and the title track are probably the three weakest on the album. In my humble opinion. Mm. So. So, kids, here we are, the trivia portion of the show. Yes. So, we asked you, who was the special guest guitarist on track seven of this album? Track seven, the song Fading Out. We gave you a hint Mm -hmm. as to when a famous couple divorced. The joke was, who's going to get custody of this guy? Mm Mm-hmm. And this guy happens to be... Gellert Grindelwald. Yes. Captain Jack Sparrow himself. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, yes. Yes. How did, how did Johnny Depp appear on an Oasis album, Sarah? Well, long before Johnny Depp became um, the, the love child of um, Helena Bonham Carter and her husband... Uh, her ex-husband Tim Burton Tim Burton yes um he was uh the long-term boyfriend of Kate Moss who was the best friend of Meg Matthews who was the wife of Noel Gallagher said woman in the dirty shirt so um they were all on vacation and must eat together like four little coked out peas in a pod (laughs) and um allegedly allegedly yes (laughs) but uh yeah so anyway played on some of those demos yes he did yes he did this song is dreadful isn't this the one with the coke scream yes yes okay it's not dreadful but it's definitely very very weak it's not it's not one of my favorites no um to me it's like oasis meet um they were trying to help bon jovi meets helter skelter yeah i was i mean i know that i said that there's no bad there's no bad parts of this album and there's not i'll listen to all of them because i adore all of them but this this one song if i had to choose my least favorite 
this would almost be it. Not quite, but almost be it. Well, here's the thing. The live versions of this song, like the live versions of, say, Champagne Supernova, mm-hmm. make this song bearable. Mm-hmm. Like that long intro that they did, and, you know, it, it, it was designed for a stadium rather than an album, right? Right. It basically was three Oasis songs Frankenstein together. Okay. Including uh, Coming On Strong, that we gotcha. spoke about the Chemical Brothers song. And, I don't know, it just felt like... This one felt like folks were trying too hard. You know? It's... it's. I... Well, I mean, just to sort of put you in the headspace that everybody was in, I mean, they recorded this, and then Johnny Depp went straight off and made Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. There you go. And this is the perfect song yeah. for that movie. So it's it's, it's very soundtracky vibes to it. Yes, but it's very fair and loathing. And I I don't know, just it it missed the mark. I don't think it missed the mark. I think that it doesn't mesh well with what surrounds it. Okay. I think that um, had it been on a soundtrack by itself, so if it was standalone, it if it was stood standalone, out. it would have okay. stood out better. I think that in the, the 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 confines of what surrounds it, it doesn't it doesn't match. Because you got lovey dovey and then a serious sentimental one. Yeah. And then you got so this. So it's one of these things. It's yeah. not like it, the others. I mean, this, it's a great song, but I just think it it sort of doesn't really. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really continuously flow. And see, I'm not a big fan of. I mean, it's got the big Coke scream in it, yeah. which, which I'm not a big fan of. And y'all will have to Google that to find the story on that. Um, I don't know, man. I'm I'm one of the, the, the fans that back in the day, I mean, there were plenty of us who, like, we... If you were old enough to remember... Living through Kurt dying, right? And then you found a new band, right? And you loved them. And you loved them just as much as you loved Nirvana. You loved them more than you loved Nirvana, right? Now, I know to some people that's blasphemous, but just follow with me. Um, You found a new fandom, okay? And there was always that threat of... Because they were so blatant. There hadn't been someone so blatant about the fact that they used drugs like a cup of tea. Yeah. In years and years and years and years. Because everybody else had the decency to at least cover it up. I mean, you got to understand that their, their, fourth sing- their third single in the UK, you might as well do the white line. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, it was... There, there were some of us that were legitimately... It would not have surprised us, like... If someone had OD'd. If someone had OD'd. Like, we were just waiting for everybody to turn 28. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, seriously. I I know, I know. And, and like, there was... Right, I mean, it was was legitimately stressful. Um, And so... Yeah, I I, I can see I'm not a big fan of the Coke scream. I can see that, I can see that. And, yeah, I, I... like I said, they're what they're, it's it's uncomfortable to listen to. Yeah, I got a theory on that. Okay, and this is kind of production. 
wise. Mm-hmm. There is a frequency in the human brain. Like, you know, every, everything has a frequency, right? Mm-hmm. You, can, you know, they call it a dog whistle, yeah? Right. That's the high frequencies, but there's right. a low frequency that, that can't happen. A lot of horror movie composers put bass lines in there that are, and then turn them down. Like, they, they perform in the key right. that they want to, and then they drop it down so they're under the threshold, but you can still feel them. Right. And I think this has got a lot of that in there, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Because you, you don't feel comfortable listening to it. Whereas no. live, you do feel comfortable listening to it. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it would be great on a soundtrack. But not a, not as part of an album. Should they have dropped that for Stay Young? Uh, Shush you. <laughs> Next. Next. Okay, this is the tearjerker. Yes. The unofficial fourth single on the album in the UK, but the fourth single worldwide with the most horrendous music video I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Don't go away. How that doesn't fit. Oh, my God. It, it, Sorry about my ranting earlier. Think getting my stand by me's and don't go away is mixed up. But oh my this, Jesus! This song right here is the emotional. Part. It kills me. You know, it's it's very very. It's vulnerable. It's very vulnerable. Not just in the terms of the composition. They t- they they. I say strip back. Maybe no one only put five guitars on on this one. You know. Maybe. But uh. But, like, it's very, very... It, it doesn't fit with the production of the rest of the album. And it's very, very... It flows with it, though. flows with it. And the vulnerability in Liam's voice as he sings it. There's... Some, which, you know, there there's a lot of vulnerability there. Which is immediately tossed to the side if you watch the video. Yeah. Because don't watch the video. Don't watch the video. It, it, I mean, I love my boys, but... Uh, you can't take them seriously when they've been shrunken down to three inches and are singing next to a gigantic egg whisker, egg beater. Well, th- I think the song was only released as a single in Japan. Mm. And with all due respect to any Japanese listeners out there, there were a lot of like a lot of commercials that we saw on TV shows from from Japanese products and stuff like that that were a little head scratching. Mm-hmm. So this kind of falls into that. No, this falls into there was still so, there were there's too many drugs. Didn't they say that on um Yes. Uh, on Familiar to Millions that was the uh, first live album that they did. They they they, they got a young lady in the crowd to uh, expose herself on camera. Mm-hmm. And Liam in his eloquent voice says, "Who whose idea was it for the phone box last time? Just get a tart, get a tits out." And then Noel says, "It was my idea for the phone box and that kid is a bad advert for drug abuse." Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. The the, the whole set and tour and stuff like that, because I got a couple of things to say about it. But I mean, this th- this song is def. If do you know what I mean, is the best song on the album. Don't go away is a very very close second. All right. It's classic Oasis. Yes. It's what it's. People were expecting songs that sounded that that had the emotion of I hope I think I know, the swagger of do you know what I mean, and the vulnerability of don't go away. And unfortunately, they didn't get it. And that's why I think a lot of people turn their noses up at it. But this song right here, man, what what a track. Mm-hmm. Criminally underplayed by the band. Correct. And I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if they could bring themselves to play it after the tour. Or if they just tossed it aside because it was a Be Here Now track. You know? There's no telling. Talking of Be Here Now, we come to the title track. Mm-hmm. Ironically, Oasis' only title track. If you don't count the master plan. 
None of the albums that they released. In fact, only one other album. Okay, what's the story, Morning Glory? Morning Glory. Okay, that's fair enough. Call that a title track. The last one they did, Dig Out Your Soul, was a line written by Game Archer in one of the songs that he he put in there. Um, Heathen Chemistry, they found on a t-shirt. Right. Standing on the shoulder of giants was on on a pound coin. Or two pound coin, I should say. Um, Don't Believe the Truth was just something that they pulled out of their ass, you know? Right. As title tracks go, title tracks is supposed to be the the big song on the album, right? Mm-hmm. You, you name your album after this song. That song better be the. And unfortunately, it was not the. No, it was um, it was it was. Dixie, I like it, but it, it was Dixie's dinner on the album. I like it, but I like quirky. Oh, I like it. I think it's. I think it's a good song. I just the album should have been called. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But um, it was recorded in Mystique with a lot of these with the demos and they actually used Mick Jagger's toy piano yes. for that piano sound um, it's very very insider your jokes remind me of Diggsy right it, it was uh, it was Mick and Jerry Hall's uh, daughter's toy piano yeah there you go there you go but, Georgia yeah I, I don't know I, it, it was them trying to be trying to be the Stones I think mm-hmm. but it just I, I don't know again something missing but the sound on it was different to, to pretty much everything on the album yes so you know good song yeah. Uh, my favorite song on the album the next one the next one hmm now I don't mind this one everybody says that Noel Gaelic is a very very one dimensional songwriter fine that's that's something that, that you have to you, you can't argue with however this song has three key changes two orchestras and the happy and the happy positive message that they were trying for this song was written back in definitely maybe days and was actually demoed during the definitely maybe days there's video footage of the band with tony mccarroll on drums playing it this is all around the world mm-hmm. you gotta spread the word uh <laughs> all right this is the music video where the guy has sausages for legs, yellow submarine-like, and th- they did a thing, director's commentary with Noel, watching all the videos a few years back, and he went apoplectic when he saw this. Yeah, it was quite a, it was quite <laughs> hilarious. So, if you haven't seen the music video, somebody, somebody picks a flower, and in this flower is a yellow spaceship, not submarine, <laughs> spaceship, with the band playing... Um, mm-hmm. And then this thing grows into this giant, like, Taj Mahal type structure. And again, it's a bad advert for drug abuse. Kids. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. But they managed to get them in matching suits. Yes. I don't know quite how that happened. But you know what? They all looked very dapper. Yes. Like, especially Gwigsy. Gwigsy owned that suit. Gwigsy did own that suit. I, and I don't know how even though he, they were only my men you gotta understand when you do a video like that Whitey must have been drumming for like three or four hours that one song y'all wonder why that man ain't got no wrist no more yeah look look. But that video is why he has no wrist no more three layers in a white suit in a hot studio but considering who directed it who directed it uh, the same couple who did um, Valerie and Jonathan who did Tonight Tonight ah, by Smash Pumpkins yep I did not know that. Yep. What do you think of the song itself, though? Do you think it was way, way overindulgent? 
Or do you think it could have been done stripped back for definitely maybe like it was the original plan? Um, I think it was good. Um, it was a bit overindulgent, but again, this is this 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 is his wall of sound. Yeah. So, well, interesting fact. About it got picked up by AT and T. Yeah. So we had it over here for this adverts is, for like two years. This was a song that got me into Oasis. I mean, really? I, I, I'd know, I'd know, I knew of them. I thought they were great, you know everything. But this was the song that turned me into a rabid fan. Yeah. Okay. I just thought there was something about it that always kind of, you know, that always, that always did it for me. It, it it does something for me. Interesting point about this song, right? A little bit of trivia for you. Uh-huh. See, you're not the only one who comes here armed with trivia. Our kids hate us. We this, have so much trivia in our This song, brains. knock the song, and I can't remember the name of it now, damn it. <laughs> he brought trivia that he forgot, y'all. Okay, no, I remember it now. I couldn't. Okay. Remember, I, I, I got them confused. Hit it. Don't edit this out, neither. There was a song called Never Ever, written by a band called All Saints. Was it written by them or performed by no, them? No, it was written by them. They oh, wrote really? their own material, yes. Really? I did not know that. And that was number one for about four weeks until All Around the World came up and just knocked them completely and utterly off. Right? Mm-hmm. So this was Oasis' last song for uh, a year and a half, two years, right? Mm-hmm. And Oasis released a song called Go Let It Out. Straight in at number one. Mm-hmm. Guess which band knocked them off the top spot after Go Let It Out? That would be All Saints. Yes, and I can't remember the name of the song that did it, but it was the one in the in the beach. I don't, I don't know. Now, what makes that even more interesting is that Nicole Appleton yes. ended up becoming Nicole Gallagher yes. for a few years. But uh, we finally finally reached the lyrical portion of the end of the uh, album with a song called It's Getting Better, Man. Mm-hmm. Um, the outro on this one is about 34 years long. <laughs> the song itself mm-hmm. is typical Oasis Fair at that time of their career. In terms of Dr. Seuss type lyrics. Right. But this, you know how we said Fading Out had something that we couldn't put our fingers on? And we so did- does this one. No, this is the opposite. Uh, I disagree. Okay, well, I, this is my this is this is what I think. It's getting better. Man has something about it that the je ne sais quoi. Yeah, it it just has something that makes you go. This is a damn good song. Yes, it does. But lyrically, it's not. Musically, it's not. Oh wait, you were saying that fading out has something that makes it bad. This is never mind. You're yeah. right. Okay, never mind. I agree. Yeah. So like fading out has something that makes you go. I, I'm not sure. It squeaks about this. you. But this one has something that like. Yeah. This was the perfect ending to the album. Yes. It's very, very happy. It's very, very positive. Listen to the words that you just said. This was the perfect ending to the album. Yes. Yes, it was. But we'll talk about that here in a second. Mm-hmm. Because it's Getting Better Man has like five minutes of guitar solo. Three minutes of ending. <laughs> okay. It's a three-verse three song, right? Yes. Verse one and verse two, bridge chorus. Verse three, bridge chorus. Oh, Sandy said to me. Yeah. Just say, say the, the words and I'll be free. And it just it's and the fact that they interchange that that uh, fire and stars, well, fire in the sky, fire burning bright. Uh, you know what I mean? The stars are in the sky. Stars are shining bright. Yeah. Stars are in the sky. You know, it's, it's just, I've tried doing that a couple of times, and it's a lot harder to make sense of it than people give credit. Y'all at the record show that Amy. No. Okay. Yeah. So no, it's it's 
it, it it's bouncy, it's happy. This was this was debuted on the uh, Nebworth tour. The fans at this one up more than my big. Yeah, the whole the whole crowd bounces yeah. when it plays, and it, it's it's beautiful. Like the wave. It's a beautiful song. Yes. You know, and this should have been the natural end of the album. I think yes. this was the end of the album. I would not have anything to complain about. But we have a complaint. Oh, we do. I would. I would like to register a complaint. You'd like to speak to the manager. Ms. I would Karen? like to speak to the manager. Um, well, he's Welsh too, and he probably listened to. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Y'all, um, I have something to confess. I'm not the biggest fan of Oasis instrumentals. Fair when, to say. When you take the lyrics away, they just they they don't they they don't reach out and and tug me. I fell in love with Noel's lyrics, not with Noel's r- music. Noel's music, and even when it was Doctor Seussical, the musical, Seussical the musical, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I. My only complaint about this album, and this album has a, such a special place in my heart. Mine too. I mean, such a special place, and part of which we'll talk about here in a minute, but. I cannot stand the reprise. <laughs> For those of you who haven't listened and don't know what we're talking about, take the 10 minute long All Around the World. Uh huh. Remove the lyrics. Uh huh. And just have Gwigsy and Alan White, the only two members of the band, playing mm-hmm. with the orchestra, the harmonicas, and the brass for about a minute and a half, ending with uh, somebody I'd walking rather, out of a door. I'd rather listen to a 10 hour loop of in the bushes. Well, that's a damn good song, though. Nah, it's alright. Yeah, but um, a ten-hour loop. Now, I will say, I'd rather this. listen to Matt Hardy laugh for ten hours. I, I, I can get you in touch with the guy who did that. I know, uh, right? <laughs> well, let me, let me, um, let me explain why I think it's not as bad, mm-hmm. but while agreeing with you that it's as bad. Okay. You, if y'all can make sense of that, let me know. You Go saw ahead. there and then. Yes. You've seen the Nebworth gig. Yes. Champagne Supernova. Yes. What did they do after they sung the last line of Champagne Supernova? They put the things on and they, then walked off. No, they no. just carried... They, they, like, Alan White's doing that military drum beat, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Bonehead and Gwigsy and Noel just keep playing and keep playing. And it turns from... They couldn't do the subtle, subtleness of Champagne Supernova live. All so right. I, this, is, this is a direct quote from the book... Um, Pablo, Pablo, your book. Yeah, my book. Yeah. yeah. Paolo Hewitt. Paolo Hewitt. Pablo Hewitt. But anyway, Paolo Hewitt, Oasis, whatever it was called. Yeah. They decided... Was there then, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. I'll get up and get the real name. They turned it from being this subtle wink and a nod song and turned the momentum up. So when Alan White plays that drum beat where the subtleness is supposed mm-hmm. to be at its peak... They just keep going and going, and they launch into like a three or four minute instrumental that's big and loud and bombastic. And there's the song, right? Mm-hmm. With the reprise, they tried to do that in the studio. Now I've got a bootleg of Oasis at the GMX in Manchester. Mm-hmm. That's where the "Who the f- is Man United" song comes from. Mm-hmm. And they did Champagne Supernova again in that style, right? And then they did All Around the World in that style, right? Not necessarily taking the orchestra, or- orchestral elements, but kind of that whole, you know, 
there's more to it than that. Here's the momentum. This was more of a come down rather than gotcha. build up momentum. And I think it worked. On the album, it doesn't work. No. Not at all. Not even not even close to working. Mm-mm. It just seems like we need to track 12. Can you record one more? Eh, f- you know? Yeah, I, I, I don't dig. No. I don't dig at all. As, as my oldest would say, it doesn't slap. It doesn't. As the kids say, it doesn't slap. Doesn't slap Jesus. at all. I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> you're so you're, you're such a fuddy duddy. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, so that's it, guys. Twelve tracks of up and down. Collectively, individually, we've had a lot of negative things to say about each track, and a lot mm-hmm. of positive things to say about each track. And I'll get to you. I'll get. I'll get with what why I think it's great here in a minute. Unfortunately, well, not fortunately, we've got three more songs to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was is one of your favorite Oasis songs. Angel Child, yes. yes. Beautiful song. Mm-hmm. He played it a few years ago for the first time in a long time. Yes. And he was surprised by how many people still remember it. Yes. It's, um, it's, it's a good song. It's one of the few Oasis songs that, and even though it's a demo, it's the Mystique demo for people interested, um, even though it's just a demo, it's very, very, it's very stripped back. Even for normal standards. But it mm-hmm. does have double guitars on it, meaning that like it's the only Oasis song, aside from Rockin' Chair, with an acoustic uh, guitar solo. Right. Because Married With Children was an electric guitar solo. I right. Um, I don't know. What, what, it is, what is it about it that, that slaps? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really good love song. Right. And again, my... My sentimental fifteen-year-old heart just adored it. So, I, th- I thought it had the touch of the slideways with it. It does, and unlike uh, "Stand by Me," it's actually good. Oh, it's <laughs> worthy of the slideaway comparisons. Right. Um, going nowhere. Okay. If "All Around the World" reprise was an orchestral mess, I think "Going Nowhere" showed what could what you could do if you used it correctly. Yes, uh, I concur with that. I, I, I did. I, I used to think going nowhere was that same brown, boring stuff like a like Magic Pie, but over the years I've grown to appreciate it more, and I think it's a damn good song. And you can tell that it was written pre signing days. You know, you could also tell that he watched a lot of reruns of Mary Tyler Moore before. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and the, the last one that they recorded this, and they recorded a, 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 this was the first time where their B sides weren't as good as the songs on the album from mm-hmm. the previous two albums, and they did do covers of Heroes by David Bowie and Street mm-hmm. Fighting Man, mm-hmm. but uh, the only other song worthy of talking about at the time is a song called "I Got the Fever," and the reason I'm bringing that up, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of the band hate it. A lot of the fans don't like it. But this is kind of in the same mold of what uh, of what people were expecting. Stay young. I got the fever. Hope I think I know. Had the sound and the positivity and the swagger that everybody was expecting from this album. I'm not. A, I'm not a big fan. Okay, it's your prerogative. That is my you, prerogative. You like Magic Pie? I don't. There you go. So there you go. So um, basically, put this album put the nails in the coffin of as Oasis as music gods. Right. Mm-hmm. So while the album was ra- was raved upon upon release, as opinions changed, the UK music scene burst. All right. It was around about the same time Angels came up by Robbie Williams as well. Oh God, yeah. And 
I think I mentioned this before, Angels was the point where music execs realized we can get a pop star to do all this Britpop stuff and be under our control. Um, you know, ironically, what happened to Blur happened to Oasis. Mm-hmm. Press turned on them and, and, and everything. Noel even, even himself realized that this album wasn't going to work the way they intended. Now, I don't know if you've heard this story or not. Mm. They mixed the album. The album's ready to go. All right. McGee loves it. All right. In comes some dude, some dudes from America, some dudes from Japan. All right. And they get the CD, put it in the thing, hit play. In the boombox. Dude from America takes out a stopwatch. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. A three minute. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's got to be like 15 seconds. Oh, you've lost mm-hmm. everybody's interest. Mm-hmm. There's like two minutes of noise on, do you know what I mean, before the first chord is played. Yes. And so they go through the song, just just you know what I mean. At the end of it, the American executive goes, so uh, is that going to be a radio edit? Because it seems a little long. And this is where the, the top of the episode came from. An old guy like a looks, this record executive, guy who's in marketing, knows the best way how to sell music to, to, to music fans, uh-huh. looks at him and goes, no, it's not long enough. Right. <laughs> and that was it. That they, they were done at that point. But at that point, Noel realized, uh-oh, we might have a problem. Right. Um... Now the set design, as we've mentioned, was basically the album cover, and that was only in box. the in the that was only in the UK. Um, they did do what they did the last couple of tours and bring some up and coming bands with them. Uh, Travis, mm-hmm. Ocean Color Scene, um, and at the book end of the tour, they supported everybody's favorite Irish records, U two. Mm-hmm. Now during this tour, you were lucky enough mm-hmm. to go see them. Okay, yeah. Here's here's the deal, Pickles. All right. So, as we discussed earlier, the last tour that they had had, like, went up like a mushroom cloud. It was horrible. So, when this tour was announced, I I had to go. I absolutely had to go. And I knew that the only way that I was guaranteed to see them was to go as early in the tour as possible. Because the longer that you waited the more of a chance that they would implode before they finished the tour. Right. And it was they didn't. It's surprising. I, yeah, 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 I know. So... I think this was the only tour they didn't implode. This and yeah. the Don't Believe the Truth tour were the only two was that they didn't implode mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, now, I was 16. Going on 17. I was 16, going on 17. In fact, this was January... 8th of 2008 I turned 17 on the 31st so I was 16 going on 17 1998 yeah not 2008 ha making myself much younger than I actually am um so uh I was 16 I somehow conned my mother into allowing me to go stay with a friend that I met online because back then you could do that um uh, you do that now. It's just you don't well, know what you yeah, did. right. You didn't really then either. Trust me. Um, <laughs> so went and stayed uh, with a friend of mine in Scranton, Pennsylvania, home of Mr. Biden, um, which is it's, it's very it's so beautiful up there. It's a beautiful area. But um, took a greyhound at sixteen. I wouldn't even let my kids take a city bus at sixteen. My <laughs> mother was on crack, not literally, but. I wouldn't have been surprised. Okay. Anyway. So that sounded horrible. Anyway. 
so I got on this Greyhound bus. My mom and my grandmother, who my grandmother, who's wringing her hands together like it, you know, like like she's wigging out, rightfully so, um, put me on this Greyhound, and I go up through uh, up the, my tour of the Eastern Seaboard. I get robbed at by at gunpoint in the layover in Atlanta. Yeah, that sucked. Then I get to um. I don't want to make a joke about this, but the way you described it to me was it was clueless style. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna spend too long on that. <laughs> so then we get we go all the way up to um, I get to New York because I'm going to Pennsylvania, but they have me going up to New York and then back down. So, but I'm at the Port Authority, which is kind of cool um, because I missed my bus, which I missed my connector, um, which would suck under normal circumstances but i got to go out and walk around a little bit because i'm stupid and i was a 16 year old by myself 16 year old girl in new york and decided to walk around a little bit but it was really cool because where my where we were it opened right up and so i got to see like the twin towers and everything like at the time i didn't realize how cool that was you know but um so yeah i got to go outside and and you know smoke a cigarette because i was a rebel 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 and um mm -hmm. so go and go stay with a friend of mine finally get there (laughs) my great aunt at the time had not retired she was still working in um on capitol hill the show itself was going to be in Fairfax, Virginia. It was the second show in the tour. This is the first show I was able to get tickets for. Um, the first show was actually um, it was it was a private. It was a small thing for Sony people. So this was the first big. This was the first gig. Gig, gig, big gig, gig. Um, when it was it was fully open to the public and not just to contest winners and whatever. So um, I get there and. Uh, I get to my friend's house and we go to go uh, get take the bus from Pennsylvania to um, D.C. for the gig. And I forget my tickets. I forget the tickets. We have to go back to our house. We miss the bus. By the time we get there, we take a um, we're almost late to the show. Right now, the tickets that we have. At first, we're sort of bummed because we're off to the side, but it turns out that we're two rows behind Marcus Russell because he was actually there because it was the first gig yeah. of the tour, so or the American leg of the tour. So Marcus Russell is a, a longtime manager. Yes. So I was all like, squee! It's like very, very, very excited. Um, corner shop opened. Uh, we get done with the concert. We go around to where the tour buses are. Let me stop you right there because I think Please you're missing do. one. I, I'm missing, part. yes, a lot. This was Noel doing his acoustic sets during yes. the show. And didn't you say somebody threw a coin at Yes. Him? So they tell us at the start if you throw anything on stage, that's it. That's it. Like they're canceled. It's, it's over with. So, um, uh, thank you for reminding me of this. So. Noel does his acoustic set and somebody throws a coin on stage and it's I mean it sounded like somebody shot something because it went and it bounced off his guitar and it boom and everybody's freaking out and he stops and he goes to stand up 
and I am wigging out. Now, keep in mind, I'm sitting just a couple rows, and I'm like, I did not get on a bus in Louisiana and go all the way over here and get robbed and get a laid over and go through all this crap just for some... So, yeah, so I am I am having a meltdown of, of true Southern Belle Julia Sugarbaker proportions <laughs> with a lot more profanity laced uh, stuff and in front of the band's manager. in front of the band's manager. And I guess he kind of felt bad for me because he kind of like nudged Noel back on the stage and Noel's like throwing throw his hands up like, but we said we'd leave. And he's like, nah, go back. So did so, you always have that effect on most people? I know, right? <laughs> right. They, I make them do my bidding. So, um, I don't know, man. It was pretty cool. We went and I met the corner, sh- the band corner shop. And I'm not going to talk about folks. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut that short there. But we ended up, uh, my mom didn't realize that not all Greyhound stations weren't open for 25 hours. When I said I'm not going to talk bad about folks, that, that, I wasn't talking about corner shop at all. They were lovely. Lovely, yeah. lovely bunch of guys. Um, Your companion. Yes, so we um, we get a ride to the Greyhound station. Now, um, we ended up, the one in Fairfax, we ended up getting a, um, when we got, well, remember the tickets were late, or we were late because I'd forgotten the tickets, and we ended up having to take a later show. So when we got to D.C., we the transfer to Virginia, the Fairfax, uh, Virginia, had already gone. We had missed that. So we took a taxi to uh, George Mason University. So we had not actually been to the one in Fairfax, to the, the Greyhound in Fairfax. Well, where we come from, Greyhounds, you know, are open 24 hours a day. You might have to wait a minute for your bus. You know, you might yeah. have to, but the, the, the station itself you know, is open 24 hours a day. Well, the one in Fairfax, Virginia was not open 24 hours a day. Uh-oh. So we get done with everything and we get to the station and I realize I'm running late and I'm sorry. I'm just, guys, if you're still hanging out with me, uh, bless you. So um, we get there and it's starting to snow. I didn't bring my big jacket with me because I knew we were going to be in this building, yeah. you know. Um, they're shut. They're locked up. There's nobody there. So I call my mom from a payphone. I'm like, Mom, um, we didn't make sure that the Greyhound meet was going to be open. And so she calls my aunt and then calls the cops. So five cop cars roll up like we're, you know, prostitutes or something oh. or a drug deal or whatever. And we get picked up and taken to the bus station or to the police station and then my aunt comes and picks us up and drives us around D.C. and takes us on a tour, feeds us breakfast, and sends us all on our way. Off we pop. Back to, yeah. Back to little old Louisiana. Back, yeah, back how to Pennsylvania. The, how, long was the, how long was the Greyhound ride? Oh, sweet, merciful baby Jesus. I was traveling for over 24 hours. Dang. Yep. All those little bitty, Yeah. It was fun, though. Yeah, it was, it was an adventure. For a 16-year-old? Oh, and my God. But yeah, I have a story. I have a lot of stories. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few. But, uh, um, yeah, so that was, that was my first big, big adventure. Nice. I think this is going as part of, as one of the sample episodes. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, please, yeah. So, yeah, interject. You can put a the flashing thing on the screen due to the fact that it took 17 years for Sarah to tell the story. It was almost as long as the journey itself. Right? There you go. <laughs> Um, it wasn't just uh, 
just Sarah who had trouble on this tour. Uh, would you believe that Nolan and Liam spent the whole tour bickering at each other? Would you believe that after I got home, they announced a show in Dallas? <laughs> yeah, I can believe that. Really? Yeah. A hundred, like 200 miles away? Yeah, we got to go there in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, Three sorry. Three hours away. Yes, but, um, so there was bickering, yes. Yeah, not only was there bickering, Liam was going off the rails. Uh, of he course. got banned from Cafe Pacific for life. Mm-hmm. Because during an interview, he said he was thrown off a off plane by a pilot, and this pilot needs stabbing in the head with an ice pick. Yes. So they kind of banned him from the airline for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drug use during the two was so bad that um, after Noel Cold Turkey would, would quit coke because he was having panic attacks all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, he wrote the songs Gas Panic and Sunday Morning Call, which I think are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't. And it just kind of was, was literally, it was closing time for that, for that era of music. Yep. You know? I think this is a 9 out of 10 album. Because in spite of all the negativity I've said about it, Mm-hmm. There's something about it. It's got a charm. Je ne sais yes, quoi. Je ne sais quoi. It's a loud album, and Teenage Me thought it was fantastic. Yes. Uh, Stand by me. Don't go away. The girl in the dirty shirt showed more of the personality that Noel had outside of you know, work, working class drinking and women. Right. Mm-hmm. Liam's vocals are probably the best produced that they've ever been on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the Bin Men were on top of their game. Especially mm-hmm. with Alan White's drumming. Right. Now, the rhythm section of the band, Bonehead, Gwigsy, and uh, Whitey, uh, Q Magazine nicknamed them the Bin, bin Men. Because mm-hmm. while they weren't as upfront as the other guys, they were hardworking and right. just important. Um, but Magic Pie and Be Here Now have horrible lyrics and kind of drag <laughs> it down. Uh, and also, y- you could read this last line of notes right here because I think you would be better seeing this by, with your disdain for it. <clears throat> The reprise is also a waste of two minutes. Can you think of anything else about the reprise? No. There you go. What, what, what's your opinion on it? Um, even with the reprise, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Sweet. I got robbed for this for, for, <laughs> for these songs. I um, got stranded in New York for these songs. I almost got frostbite and left for, you know, dead or whatever freezing i mean i'm not built for cold people i am i'm from louisiana the more i talk about this i realize my accent's getting thicker i defense mechanism right yeah i'm no i'm not built for that mess no sorry bob and uh i would do it all over again or just you know there's a line from the movie almost famous that feruza balk has at the end when she's explaining why um, the girls sort of follow the band around and it has less to do with you know the celebrity of wanting to sleep with the band or this that and the other and it has everything to do with being in love with this the silly little group of songs and and the the feeling that goes along with it and you just want to surround yourself with it as much as possible and uh, man I get it this this album was that for me I would have followed them to the ends of the earth and still would. Nice. So, we're going to jump off here in just a second. But before yes. we do, this is, like I said, what what did this album bring? It, it kind of stalled expectation in, in Bane's albums. Because mm-hmm. this was the most highly anticipated and it did kind of miss the mark. Um, the album would be seen as the start of the decline for Oasis. Because, look, the next two albums, Heathen Chemistry and Sin and the Shoulder Giants, 
uh, like Malmite. You either love them or you hate them. Seven right. Shoulder Giants was way too over the top produced and didn't sound like an Oasis album. And Heathen Chemistry was too stripped back while they were trying to find their feet again. Yeah. In my opinion, if both of those albums had been released by other bands, yeah, they'd be you know, yeah, they'd be there. Um, unfortunately, this was the last album with a definitive lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, after arguments in France, while recording Center on the Shoulder Giants, uh, Noel and Bonehead basically called it good and they on everything on their friendship and on, on being in the band together um the rumor has it that uh, nolan wanted everybody on the wagon because he was on the wagon after his uh sobering up and, and sobriety and apparently bonehead broke into a wine cellar and broke into a sound engineer's bedroom and poured wine all over this poor guy's head mm-hmm. so when nolan did it back to him bonehead got really really off and Bonnet says you want to do you do that again I'm leaving and Noel said alright I'll call you a taxi and I don't think they've spoken to each other since then mm. uh, Liam and Bonnet are still pretty tight mm-hmm. in fact Bonnet plays occasionally on, on as a part of Liam Gallagher's uh, touring bed right uh, Gwigsy who was close with Bonnet and also had a lot of mental health problems not necessarily depression, but he, he like he had a real bad case of nervous exhaustion a couple of years before this. Mm-hmm. Was never comfortable with the fame, never comfortable with the spotlight, and after he saw his close friend leave, he thought maybe now was the time. Right, you know. So Bonin and Gwigsy left. Uh, Gwigsy hasn't been seen since 1999, which you know, again, Good on it's, him. It's, 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 it's you got self care is 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 a thing, man. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, the perceived failure of this album led to what was called the post Britpop sound. Which is basically, it's ironic that this album is seen as a failure, but it inspired so many bands like Embrace, um, some some forms of Travis, Hurricane Number no. One. You know, they all had this sound of loud guitars with either orchestral or brass accompaniment. Um, the song Lazarus by the Boo Radleys, in my opinion, is the template of the post brick pop sound. Mm-hmm. Just this kind of guitars and loud brass. Uh, the album itself divides opinion amongst the brothers, but not the fans. The fans are pretty unanimous in that this is a good album. Mm-hmm. But Noel wants to wanted to call it the greatest swindle in rock and roll history. Said, quote, <laughs> this is the sound of a bunch of guys in the studio not giving a f*** on coke. There's no bass in it at all. I don't know what happened to that. All of the songs are really long. All the lyrics are And for every millisecond Liam is not saying a word, there's a guitar riff in there in the Wings World styley. Mm-hmm. Uh... As I mentioned, you know, he, 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 him and Game Archer talked about remixing the album, cutting things out, tightening it up, and they did release, in my opinion, a better version of Do You Know What I Mean? Mm-hmm. Noel just gave up after that point because he didn't want to go through with it more. Typical working class fashion. Uh, right. Liam, however, loves this album. Of course he does. And defended it and said, at the time, we thought it was f***ing great, and I still think it's great. It just wasn't morning glory. This is true. And he said of his brother... If he didn't like the record that much, he shouldn't have put the record out in the first place. I don't know what's up with him, but it's a top record, man, and I'm proud of it. It's just a little bit long. <laughs> so, in 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 true be here now fashion, this has gone on a little long. This, right. This is our longest segment that we've ever spoken about. Yes, we have. So, be here now. Ten out of ten. Nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. Fantastic album. If you've got a spare two weeks, go ahead and listen to it. <laughs> It's damn good. We'll be back here in just a moment. 
right. So yeah, thank you again. Thank you for taking the time to uh, sit down with us. That was again. That was our longest uh, <laughs> section that we ever spoken about. And ironically, talking about the longest album in British music history. So long single album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm talking about. He does. Uh, I'm tired, y'all. It's been a long week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a long week for Sarah too, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But anyway, thank you for taking the time to spend with us. Uh, next week, I'm going to be joined uh, for the first time of the season by Dexter Duran. Dexter and I are going to be talking about uh, three video games that he's very knowledgeable of, and he's going to give us a crash course if you haven't played it on the Final Fantasy series. Uh, but Sarah's good to have you on thank you very much for being with us no problem I've mentioned what we're going to do next week guys if you're on Facebook Twitter, Tumblr or Instagram check out Because Maybe Network uh, if you're on YouTube check out bit.ly slash bmnetwork dash YouTube and of course we're on all good podcast places like Apple Podcasts Spotify Podbean uh, iHeartRadio Stitcher Radio and TuneIn I almost got it without looking uh, <laughs> we're not on Google because Google hasn't approved us yet. So, Very you know, good. Yes, and they suck. Uh, John Roberts. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will be back next week. Hope everybody is doing y'all, well. Y'all have good fun. I'll have you fun. And thank you for spending the last two weeks with us. <laughs> See y'all later. Bye-bye. So the room is spinning like some toasters on 22s. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>